Welcome to Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by irishillustrated.com. It's Monday, June 18th, and with Tim O'Malley, I'm Tim Priester, and we've been away for a little while, so we got a few topics to cover, including uh, my interviews with uh, the two coordinators last week, Chip Long and Clark Lee. Uh, also had an opportunity to sit down with Chris Zorch, and that's always a, that's always a fun time, and I know our readers enjoy Hearing what Chris Zorch is doing, what he's up to, boy, he's got his hands full, Tim, with uh, with Chicago State. But we'll get into that. And then a little bit of recruiting. And, and in addition to talking to coaches Long and Lee, tied in with that, the new freshman rule, which I can't imagine that there's any coach, college football coach in the country that isn't excited about the opportunity to play any freshman in any four games without sacrificing a year of eligibility. It's great for everyone. It's great for the players, coaches, fans, Um there's no reason to do either for real or for appearances, keeping a guy for a redshirt season just to separate. I'm talking about quarterbacks just to separate their eligibility. Look, you don't have to have tiered eligibility because if one quarterback's great as a redshirt freshman and the other one's decent as a junior, the great guy should be playing. Now you're going to know there is no reason Phil Dracovic will not play this year. It's, no, and, and, and as long have, as he's physically proves capable and mentally capable. Yeah, and, and I'll get into it a little bit later, but I mean, both coaches talked about that. They both love it, obviously. Yeah. And, and Phil Dracovic absolutely will get in games as a freshman without having to compromise anything. You think of guys like Sierra Wood that redshirted as freshman and Weiss, the, the team that Weiss was fired from? Yeah. That, that helps a little bit. They, you know, they, there was, there's players in the past that, now maybe there are reasons they couldn't get in we don't know about. I guess that's what kind of jogged my memory there with Sierra Wood. Maybe he couldn't get in for other reasons. But Devaris Daniels sat out the yeah. Kelly's for second season. These are guys that could have helped, and certainly they would have been put in at some point over the course of the season if this rule is intact. They, there still will be decisions that have to be made. Like when you have a ball state game where it's probably going to be one-sided, you know, normally you, you, you put freshmen in there and you hope that they have an injury. I mean, with the previous rule, you'd hope they had an injury, injury or that you could create an injury. Yeah. And I talked to both coaches about that. I mean, you don't have to, you don't have to make stuff up anymore, or force the medical staff to, I don't know, put a little line on an x-ray and say, see that? Yeah, that's a, that's a break right there. You know, I mean, I, I, we laugh at it, but I mean, there was a lot of that going on and always has been. Uh, but, you know, getting back to the whole Ball State idea, do you use a game, you throw a kid in there that maybe isn't, maybe doesn't understand the playbook completely yet and, and use that game? Or do you wait until February when they've had two full months into the season, you know, into game planning and stuff and use them then? So there's still decisions that have to be made. Just on a 2018 case basis, I don't think you're waiting till October because that's where it really gets tough. We'll begin, obviously, Michigan and Stanford. But right. there's, there's a couple games where you can you should be able to look at players that are talented that you are on the fence with. Now, some of these guys are just going to start on special teams against Michigan. You can see Derek Allen on the first kickoff. Well, those guys don't really count. Those I mean, Clark Lee and I, he said, like I said, Houston Griffith. He says, well, you know, who's Houston Griffith? Right. That, there's not going to be a decision for them to make regarding a, a year of eligibility. So there's talented guys where if you go back to Aquara's freshman year, they really thought in 2016, it kind of went off the tracks, they really thought Aquara and Kareem were going to help them. They said they are on the varsity, they're with us. They put them in, they couldn't do anything in September along with the rest of the team. But they would have known they're not ready like we yeah, thought they were. And right. they would have known about Romeo Aquara back in 2012. Right. And that, those are, those are, those are yeah. two of the better examples as it relates to Notre Dame. Hey, you know, I, I spent about, I don't know, 35, 45 minutes with each, um, Chip Long and, and, and Clark Lee. And um, the first, the, I, I, we're going to break it down in two segments each. And the first segment is on uh, today, Monday, June 18th, uh, with, with Chip Long. And, you know, he knows that, 
not that not that the 270 yards rushing per game was an aberration per se, but he also knows that that number was it was increased by taking big leads early in games, early in the season. Um, you know, a guy like Deion McIntosh being capable of running behind even a even a decent second offensive line and to continue to pile up yards. The point is, you're not going to be able to rush for 270 yards no. again. Now without Quentin Nelson, Mike McGlinchey, now without Josh Adams. Um, so they're going to, uh, you know, obviously they have to throw the football more effectively. He's talking good game now. He's more confident. He's, he, he says Brandon Wimbush has been, you know, great in learning everything that he needs to learn. He feels his confidence is up. The biggest thing, and this isn't really reflected in the first section that appears on Monday, is that he now feels that he has wide receivers that can go up and make plays. He said, I didn't even want to watch one-on-ones last year. You know, wide receivers against corners because they were going to lose. He said in the spring, I didn't want to miss any of those because guys can compete now. A guy like Miles Boykin is much stronger. He said he couldn't even get off the line of scrimmage half yeah, he, the time. Yeah, he mentioned that, and that was in the spring. That was surprising to me. We don't look at Boykin that way, but it's functional strength in, in football. It has nothing to do with how big you look and everything. And right. Well, it's technique too, yeah. but certain, but but certainly strength mostly, and that's where Matt Bayless comes into play. I think when you mentioned the one on ones, though, and we will be able to talk about this a lot. And I'm writing about it today. Claypool's the key to this because there's a trickle down effect if he can emerge the way we think he can. You've written about it. I've written about it. We're going to talk about it. Then Miles Boykin is the second guy. If Miles Boykin's your first guy, I'm still concerned. If Chase Claypool just can't get it together in terms of learning the playbook and playing 100% like Chip Long wants him to. But if Miles Boykin's your second guy and the trickle-down effect allows Michael Young to be next, a guy like Kevin Austin comes in in mid-September and all of a sudden he doesn't have to play against Michigan to make a massive impact on the season. Mm-hmm. There's a good... It, once you get a top dog in there, I think Notre Dame's wide receiving core can really surprise people. And he speaks... You know, stop me if you've heard this before, but he speaks very confidently about Elizé Mack going into this season. And everybody, I know he has two years of eligibility, but everybody expects it to be one. Right. Uh, And for him to emerge, and certainly it's past due at this point, but he speaks confidently about him as well, along with Cole Komet. So, you know, when you start putting it in those terms, you know, when when you talk about what Chris Fink did, he mentioned, you know, what Boykin... Uh, you know, what Boykin, Fink, and Young did in the bowl game, that showed, you know, I mean, they hung real in there. Thing. Yeah, really, I mean, it really, really did. And those were three guys that didn't play a whole lot prior to the bowl game. I think those three guys are so much better if Claypool and Mack yeah, no, guys. Yeah, no, no doubt. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you don't want those guys as lead guys, but as compliments, those are the guys that get open simply because you have the other people on the field. They're effective. Last thing about uh, Chip Long, and I'll let the story speak for themselves, but... Um, you know, I talked to him about rotating along the offensive line, and I, I definitely think you can anticipate that with Josh Lug. I mentioned Josh Lug, and I know we mainly saw him play guard this spring. I said, would he do that with Eichenberg? He said, no, probably not. So and I didn't follow up with that, but I wondered, so who's he talking about? He's not going to rotate with bars. He would have to rotate with Kramer. He wouldn't be rotating with Hainsey. You wouldn't really <laughs> love Hainsey setting, the, uh, setting right. the edge out there. Right, right, right. So anyway, Lug's definitely in the mix. He likes Aaron Banks a lot. Obviously, Trevor Rulin's a guy that's been around a little bit longer. So they've got a good situation there and and uh, and, and and some guys to rotate in. And he, you know, I mean, the running back situation, there's no clarity there. And he's not. he doesn't have any clarity on Dexter Williams. And we'll answer a question about Dexter Williams in a little bit. But flipping over to, to Clark Lee... 
you know, I think every time we spend any time with them, and this was my first like true one-on-one without other reporters bouncing in on media day or something like that. This guy is really, really a smart dude. Oh yeah, um, he's, you he, know, that's why I think every media member is already convinced it's going to work out. This it's really seamless. <laughs> well, that's what I. Seamless. I know that's what I told him. I said, "Man, you've done an amazing job of convincing Notre Dame fandom that you're going to be just fine as defensive coordinator, and you've never coordinated a game in your life." Uh, so we had a good laugh about that. But you know, I think he's an interesting cat. First of all, because I mean, he's very, very bright, but also. You know, he feels like, and I think I've mentioned this before, and I know that I've written it, he feels like it wasn't Elko's defense. He feels like he helped create the defense that Elko ran last year as the coordinator. And he was with him on three different stops. And so, you know, he's a, I think he's a very naturally confident person because he's a very bright person. And he doesn't feel like, you know, this is his uh, first rodeo going into this. Has he been the final the guy to make the final decision on the defense? No, but he says, you know, it's not like I've been standing there not talking to Elko throughout the game and not suggesting things to him. We've grown up in that defense together. I, they had another option if they wanted to stay <coughs> in-house in Mike Elston. So this is, it's another way of looking at the Clark Lee hire. Brian Kelly's very close to Mike Elston. Mike Elston somewhat bailed them out. I know they didn't win that many games, but bailed them out of a horrific defensive situation with the firing of Van Gorder. If he, if he didn't believe in Clark Lee, he'd have taken the easy way out, I think. And I, I it's not something we discussed that much. That you look, they could have just hired well, Mike Olsen, and it would have been, it would have been, he could have done the defense, right? I think Clark Lee, the way we've been impressed, he he impressed guys like Kelly. He, he certainly impressed a guy like Jack Swarbrick. Um, and so, what what's you know when you hear Elko's leaving, you think you hear the first time you consider Clark Lee, it's like wow. Can you really go in that direction? That was me. I was. I thought, wow, sure. can they go in that direction? Yeah, and, and naturally, because we've seen it, we've seen it not work, um, especially with a defensive coordinator becoming head coach in, in Bob Davy. But I think the more you, you know, the more you consider it, and the more you consider the person that's involved with this, it's understandable why they chose him. I asked him about um, uh, recruiting Tillery and Coney, and he and he said this in a press conference where he. You know, he'd just gotten the opportunity of a lifetime and he was staring at a hole in the middle of his defense, potentially. And so he talked about, you know, when he when he sat down with both of them, he said, look, I, you know, I'm probably not the best guy for you to talk to because I have a lot to gain by you coming back. But I'm going to talk to you honestly and we're going to look at both sides of this issue and then we're going to make, you know, then you're going to make a decision from it. So I just, I, I think everybody that comes in contact with, and I know there were some other media outlets that ended up doing interviews with, with Long and Lee as well, I think I think we're unanimous in saying that anytime we have contact with this guy, he's awfully impressive. He's got a whole half of football to keep everybody uh, on board too. Then we'll everybody will rejudge, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> then uh, yeah, then there's then there's no more grace period. Um, I did have an opportunity to sit down with Chris Orch, and it's always enjoyable. It's been a while since him and I have had an opportunity to do that, and the the last few years of his life have been pretty whirlwind from some legal issues, which I think were explainable. You know, and he said, I, I shouldn't get cut any slack per se for, for the the, uh, the tax issues that he had with the Christopher Zorch Foundation. But I think it was explained and, and he paid his price both financially and, and um, you know, he kind of wandered around a little bit career-wise due in large part to that. But I love the guy. I mean, I've loved him. I mean, I've, you know, I've literally known him since he enrolled at Notre Dame and 
I wasn't a whole lot older than him at that time. Do you know how old Chris Orch is now, believe it or not? Well, he was a yeah, I mean, senior in 90, so thing, yeah, that's <laughs> 40, yeah, he's 49, he's 49 years old. Which I was is, in high school and he was in college, so yeah. it's kind of a... Yeah, so... Which is why I think a lot of people will feel the same way. We joked about this right before the podcast. You interviewed the number one guy oh, to interview no in Notre Dame There's no doubt. Right now. No one, there's no one more beloved than Zorich. You mentioned tax problems or any legal problems going around. He's the one of the three or four guys at Notre Dame where every fan, every intelligent Notre Dame fan, like, nah, nah, he's, he's died. There's nothing wrong with that. Don't worry about it. Just, I think there's no judgment ever going to Chris no, Orange's there's, way there's because no of the person he, you know, Yeah, I mean, I mean, just think about, the, you know, and uh, there was a thread on a message board about tough guys in Notre Dame. And I, I would, Kurt Heinisch is a tough guy. Uh, but he's never going to be as good as Chris right, Orch. Right. You know, I mean, he, he, yeah, that's he wasn't just, yeah. He, yeah, he wasn't right. He wasn't just a tough guy. He was, he was the greatest of great. And he was as dominant as a nose tackle can, that, that I can imagine possibly being at Notre Dame. Um, you know, he's got, and just real briefly here, he's got, and I would encourage anybody that hasn't read the two stories of Chris Orch from last week, please do. Uh, man, you want to talk about having his work cut out for him at Chicago State. Uh, he's got, you know, their basketball program is their money program, and I think the two, the men's and women's teams combined won four games last year. They came in recently, Chicago State. Was it two years ago? Yeah. Sure, yeah. Yeah, they don't have anything set up with Notre Dame now, but he, well, because he wants to, you know, those were all paydays. Those were all paydays for Chicago State when they play a team like that. Well, Zort says, okay, great, we get paid and we lose by 60. You know, there's a, there's a balancing act there. Yeah. You've got you got to find the happy medium with that. They don't play Loyola Chicago. They don't play DePaul. They don't play UIC. Uh, um, Northern Illinois has agreed to play. Anyway, he wants to start getting you know play those Chicago teams. Yeah. So you know a little exposure, a little bit of exposure in a in a huge market would certainly help. Anyway, he wants to try to pattern his new program after uh, after a lot of the things that Notre Dame stands for and. and God bless him because he's going to need it because it's going to be it's going to be a rough rough go. There's a few guys from that '88 team, and then Brady Quinn. We're short of violent crime. Every Notre Dame fan's like, "Yeah, no, it's fine." He's, I'm sure he what he did was not wrong. There, there's no. Yeah, is that wrong? He, he didn't know. Yeah, that. I think I think Brady Quinn would probably. He's Join not as era yeah. I mean, he's not as legendary because of the whole toughness yeah. thing with Zorch. Just liked, uh, but very he's, well liked. Yeah, but he's very, and, and rightfully so, rightfully so. I do want to touch upon recruiting here real quickly before we get into um, questions from our readers. And, and since we last got together, well, they did get a 2020 commitment from Kevin Bauman, a tight end who's a big, strong kid. He's got two years of L, two years of high school left, and he's a big, strong kid. I think most Nordian fans are going to like him. Nordian also got uh, verbal commitments from a couple linebackers, Jack Kaiser, from uh, from Indiana and, and Osita Aquan Osita Aquanu, who's a linebacker from Charlotte, North Carolina. I've expressed my opinion about Jack Kaiser. I just didn't think that being in a situation that Notre Dame is in with a couple other linebackers, Tristan Sinclair, who I think is outstanding, and Asa Turner, who I think can, can be outstanding and is a really good long athlete. I just didn't think that it was necessary for Notre Dame to make that move on Jack Kaiser. I don't, you know, and I made the mistake. Tim of in my in my film review of mentioning the competition and I rarely ever mention the competition a guy plays against because I don't want first of all I don't think that that ultimately matters you can judge an individual based upon the individual but it was so extreme that I mentioned it and some people say oh, well you're just you're you're just saying it because of the bad competition that's not true I don't like his frame I don't like his quickness I don't 
I just don't think long term that he's that quality of a player. I think as long as you include both the, the individual review, because I had I, I remember Andrew Trombetti I liked so much coming out of high school. I kind of asked Brian Doan, our East Coast guy, he's like, so what's this competition? Doesn't look the same as what I'm normally watching. He's like, well, that's because it's not. But I, I still liked what I saw out of him. You have to measure it though. It's got it is part of it. It is a part of it because you're looking at a 17 year old that's going to skip a jump to a new level. It at least matters for a couple of years. When guys can be in over their heads coming in because, wow, I am now the 74th best athlete on my team. That's the reality for guys like yeah. Kaiser. I think the bigger I think the bigger issue is he's closer to 6'1 and 6'2. I don't see and this is just my opinion. And, and in my know. and in my review, I you know, I, I clearly state that I don't know more than Clark Lee and I don't know more than Notre Dame coaches. And I say that over and over again because I'm serious about that. I don't want I don't want anybody to think that 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 that's where I'm coming from on this, but I don't like his size. I don't like his frame. I don't think that he's as explosive as a lot of other linebackers I've seen. There's a lot of lower rated guys that Brian Kelly and Notre Dame have hit on. It hasn't often been a linebacker. It would be the fairest way to say that. You get safeties, get other positions. I mean, Matthias Farley was as low yeah. as you could get right. on the yeah. but it's not often at linebacker, but there are always going to be Aquanu, exceptions. Aquanu, if you've, if you've seen him, that is a, that's a, I think that's a big time player. Um, I don't know where, I think that, um, Composite rankings is in the three hundreds. I think he's way better than that, and and you can build a, a, upon that. They also got a punter, I think, since the last time we met with Jay Bramlett, who I think it happened right after, probably. Yeah, I think it it, it, yeah. it 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 probably did. But they, and and then lastly, Notre Dame had some people coming in this weekend. Zeke Correll, an offensive lineman who could verbally commit to Notre Dame really at any time. They made real progress with Aeneas De Cosmo, who I really really like. He's pretty raw. And I don't know that I've said this publicly, but this is what I believe. I think DeCosmo's upside is greater than Asafu Mensis. I don't think you have said that publicly because I didn't. I don't know. No, I haven't. I have. You know, and I'm not. That's not to put down Nana at all because it's a, that's a huge gift for Notre Dame. But as far as a pure pass rusher, I think DeCosmo has greater ability. So we'll see about that. A couple other guys were in Kyron Kyron Williams, a running back, who ultimately will come to Notre Dame as well. That's for segment one. We're going to come back, burning up the boards. We are going to preview, uh, continue our off-season preview of Notre Dame's opponents. We're going to uh, do a double dip today with Vanderbilt and Wake Forest uh, in segment two because we had a couple questions on those opponents as well. Welcome back to segment two, burning up the boards. Our first question from Daniel Squeery kind of leads into something we want to talk about today anyway. Which Notre Dame opponent do you believe will have the best offense in 2018? And I think we agree, Tim. Uh, we do. I, you know, I don't know if I would say best offense. I think best offensive personnel, which of course should lead to, to more offense. But Stanford is Stanford's loaded. And, and the, the ironic thing is that, you know, they're not defensively. They, I was going to say, that's yeah, the key, I mean, that they they're are, not defensively. Yeah, they, and that's rare, and they are in transition defensively, but offensively, you know, of course, led by Bryce Love at running back, but Caden Smith at, at tight end, uh, um, Arcega Whitesett at wide receiver. They got a couple offensive linemen that are among the best on the schedule this year. Costello, would, unfortunately, chased Kellen Crist out of town. Yeah, I mean, you know, Costello, I had him kind of lower on the first rate series. It wasn't because I didn't like him. I mean, I love him. I, 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 like I, him I fear for Notre Dame against KJ Costello because he has that he has that it factor. He has those intangibles. It's just that, uh, you know, he, ha- he hasn't played a ton, but he, he's going to be really dangerous. But I think, you know, I, I think, boy, you hesitate to say anything about Shea Patterson around here because everybody, oh, if he's the best quarterback on the schedule, then, you know, they don't face anybody. And I realize that. 
Patterson's not a finished product, but but you throw him in on the Michigan offense and they become much more formidable with some decent receivers that never had anybody to give them the ball. The problem with Michigan for me in June is they have for the last two years on offense offended my delicate sense. No, I hear you. I hear you. Man, it was. But that I mean that's totally quarterback yeah, driven. It was. It was well, really, and it was, and, and Harbaugh's you know yeah, extreme love yeah, for the running game. Protecting quarterback was a problem. That's probably part of it. But boy, it was hard to it's hard to stomach. It's like watching the Houston Rockets play NBA playoffs yeah. and just shooting threes because someone told them it's a good idea. You know, Stanford number one for sure, and I know. They lost John Wolford. But Wake Forest has pieces back on offense, man. At least for that game, as you mentioned prior to this, new quarterback Kendall Hinton is suspended for three games. Of course, Notre Dame is the fourth game for Wake Forest. He's a dual threat guy, but it's more of a runner. You could be looking at a little mirror image of Wimbush at times last year, but Wimbush at times last year was awfully hard to stop for defenses and for some quality defenses too, like Michigan State. Um, If John Wolford was back, they would be the number one offense. Oh, I agree. Yeah, but they, their best player did not play, other than Wolford, their best player, Greg Dortch, did not play in the game where they scored 37 against Notre Dame. And I know Notre Dame could have just scored 60 if it needed to against Wake Forest, but that would have been an even uglier offensive showdown if there's such a thing as an ugly uh, ugly defensive game because linemen are back, running backs back, Dortch is back, wasn't playing. I like Hinton. I know that he's a little bit of a question mark, but... It, it's a home game for him that helps a little bit. Yeah, Colburn was an effective yeah. running back last year. Yeah, I think they're really dangerous. Hey, breaking news, i got, I got to throw this in because this always happens right after we're done recording. Notre Dame did get a verbal commitment from Zeke Carell, the offensive lineman. <laughs> for once, it happened during, during the podcast. During, this is great. <laughs> it was a really, really good football player. They're doing – I mean, I, I don't know that all the, the credit goes to Jeff Quinn, but he's the offensive line coach, and he is compiling – Really a great, great offensive line class. But getting back to that, we wanted to, we wanted to segue into the third and fourth games of the year anyway with Vanderbilt and Wake Forest. And I, and I agree with you. Greg Dortch is a real weapon. Uh, you throw him back into the equation. I think you know their problems. They there's a backslide here with Mike Elko, and I, I think that it's going to. I think it's going to probably show itself more this year than even last year. This could be the highest scoring game again. Notre Dame's going to go in there and score. They're going to need to no, score to true. win. It's um, true. In the last six games last year for yeah. Wake Forest, they gave up 380 yards passing per game. So they're... Uh, the difference, I guess, with Wake this year is Hinton will be up and down. If you catch him up, it's probably a rough day. If you catch him at his regular kind of scuffling to move the ball with his arm, you can just handle right. Wake Forest at that point because you're going to right. keep scoring on them. You know, and as I started the first rate series this summer, I anticipated finding a better Vanderbilt team than the one that I'm finding as I get getting deeper because Derek Mason, their head coach, is really on the hot seat, and I I I think he's in big trouble here. I mean, I, I like Kyle Shermer, their quarterback. I think I had him uh, rated as the second best quarterback on on uh, Notre Dame's schedule, but man, they're missing a lot of other pieces. And this, of course, is the third game of the year after Notre Dame plays Michigan and in in uh, Ball State, so. Uh, you beat Michigan, obviously you're 3-0 going to Wake Forest and you're going to get a challenge. But they they have four starters back on the offensive line, but they only have four starters back on their entire defense. Their defense was dreadful last year, uh, 88th in scoring, and it was even worse over the last two-thirds of the season. It was an all-time SEC record for points against in SEC games. Yeah. 346. Man! <laughs> I know it Man, that's a lot. It's, it really is. And they, yeah, and, they, and they only average, they were last in the SEC in rushing per game at 170 yards per game. So Vanderbilt's it's a good not spot good. On the schedule. Yeah, that Vanderbilt was 5-7 and seven last year, but I don't see them being anywhere near what they 
to to approaching 500 this year. I think I overvalued Vanderbilt a little bit coming out of the spring as well. Just thinking, you know, they, they start with, I think it's Middle Tennessee State and Nevada. So that's Notre Dame is their game going into. But you figured there's a little bit of SEC talent out there, but it's just spread out too across yeah. the roster. They have, I mean, they have a couple guys. Charles Wright's a good pass rusher. As you mentioned, Kyle Shermer. It's a senior quarterback now. That that matters a little bit coming on the road. Yeah. I mean, he had a real breakthrough year last year, and they do have a new defensive coordinator in Jason Tarver who spent, has Stanford ties and spent the last six, six years in the, in the NFL. But, I mean, everything. New kicker, new punter. I mean, all, virtually yeah. across the board except for Shermer and four offensive linemen. Uh, Sean G15, which is more likely? I love this. A, Jafar Armstrong leads the team in carries, or B, your starting safeties at USC are Houston Griffith and Derek Allen. I think I have mentioned both of these things. <laughs> However, B would be probably a bad something, a sign that something went wrong. Well, there's probably, right? there'd probably be an injury. Oh, well, I guess one injury is all you need there. It's possible one could win the job, and then there's one injury along the way. That wouldn't be a terrible sign. Yeah, and the injury would be to Gilman. To I mean, Gilman. Gilman yeah, Gilman's to, right. Win. It's yeah. humanly possible that someone, obviously, Houston Griffith could eventually, by this point of the season beat out Jalen Elliott, and that we don't expect Gilman to get beaten out at any point this season, but that if Gilman got hurt, it would be those two guys. I think it's more likely, it's unlikely that Jafar Armstrong leads the team in carries, I will say that, but for this question, Dexter Williams isn't going to lead the team in carries. Dexter Williams may not have any carries. That's what I mean. Well, he's, and he's, he's going to miss one-third of the game's carry, of the season's carries. Now, Jafar Armstrong... We talked about Williams and Tony Jones not being able to run hurt. Jafar Armstrong's converting from wide receiver. How do we know if he can run hurt? He ran hurt in the spring game, but that's not the same thing. Uh, was is it my first section with? Uh, yeah, yeah. He, he with he, Chip Long. He, yeah, he, he played he, hurt. He played in hurt. Spring. Yeah, but playing hurt in that game as opposed to twelve straight games. No, tr- no, no, no doubt about it. But that was a good sign to hear your yeah. offense coordinator say, you know, here's a guy that had a really bad high ankle sprain and probably had no business. Being, being out, out there, there, and he wanted to be out there. And not only was he out there, but he was effective. We both liked Jafar Armstrong. Yeah, we're and and I didn't even have to like throw the name in right at the end of the podcast like I did last time just to get a Jafar Armstrong. Guy. You know, I don't want to overplay him because they're definitely high on Avery Davis as well. Um, you know, Chip Long talked more about Avery Davis, and I had to bring up Jafar Armstrong, and then he talked about him. But um, I hope know. Dexter Williams leads the team in carries. I hope so too. I think that would be we fantastic. Make sure that's- but part of it even if it's a even if it's a two-month sample or nine-game sample yeah oh, well if if carries. he leads the team and carries then things are okay in right. the backfield but i don't anticipate that happening um you know i don't i mean i just don't think that we can rule out the possibility of anything with dexter williams including not playing at all i i think i think i think the first four games are he, you know, he has I don't to be effective say, hurt because he's going to get hurt because everybody they all josh adams look josh adams really died out last year because his body gave out. Josh Adams walked on this campus injured. And he carved out a three-year, very impressive career running hurt. And then all of a sudden, he didn't have anything left to run with. Dexter Williams is not that hurt. Other than a high ankle sprain, you got to be able to run right. hurt in he, college football. you got to take... You, he doesn't have knee issues that right. we're aware of the way the way Josh Adams doesn't had to like deal with doesn't look like he has when he runs, so... He still no, he sure does not look hurt no, to me when he runs. No, he sure doesn't. So your pick is A or B? It's more likely A. It's just a bad sign. If Jafar what Armstrong leading, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's good. That's why I like the question right. because it's it's a difficult one to pick. See, John, let's take the trio of Alizé Mack, Dexter Williams, and Chase Claypool. Uh, I'll interject here, otherwise known as the podcast highlights of the off season, and please rank them from three to one in terms of likelihood of each producing a breakout season, and what is your confidence level that each one will actually do that. Uh, well, my least confident is definitely Dexter Williams because I don't know how. 
you know, what exactly his situation is going to be coming out of the summer. Um, I would put number two, Elize Mack, uh, because he has had, quite frankly, difficulty dealing with the glare of the spotlight on game day. Wouldn't you agree? Yes, he admitted it. And I yeah. still don't understand it going this far in. But you, wanna, you wouldn't imagine that on as a senior. Um, if Alize Mack isn't pretty good this year, I just don't get it. Yeah, right. I, don't, I don't either. I don't either. It'd be ridiculous. So I, I would, I would clearly choose Chase Claypool because uh, you think he will break out, right? I do. Yeah, yeah, I, I do. Too. I mean, I think he has the ability. It's, it's a, it's a maturity issue. I think the the term that Chip Long said he can't just bebop around the field. He's got to be locked. He's got to be dialed in and 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 get it done. But he, I have, I have the most confidence in him. Although I think Elze Mack from a pure talent standpoint is right up there with him yeah and i i did talk to someone about claypool inside the coog with it is not we don't want to get this across like it's a off the field dexter williams maturity issue it's just he's not that mature of a guy chase williams he's a kid and he acts like a kid in practice and it drives coaches crazy but it's not like oh he's doing these terrible things and he's they're gonna be talking about those type of traits yeah that's that's not it it's just all right man let's dial in let's focus on what's going on here you know and it's yeah, and you got to work every day. You know, I mean, there's never, there's never. A, I guess during a walkthrough, it's light, but even then, you got to be mentally sharp. So, yeah. um, you know, what Manti Teo said about the first spring practice of his senior year: How could you not be excited about putting on football pads? Right. I don't think that necessarily resonates with all young players that are talented. Yeah. I don't think they're that excited about putting on pads sometimes in the spring. You have to be. I mean, that's your, you only have to be out there 15 times. And now spring practice is like six months long, so it's really not that hard to be out there. No, you get plenty. <laughs> it goes well, on yeah. forever. No, <laughs> yeah, you get your, your your body has plenty of time to recover from, from practice to practice. Uh, Sigal's yeah. question is uh, a strategy question. Michigan defensive coordinator Don Brown will likely dial up pressure early and often, knowing that Wimbush had the yips in 17. What can Nordame's offensive coordinator Chip Long do to anticipate that play calling wise? There's nothing I dislike more than a inaccurate quarterback throwing horizontally against fast teams that pressure you. I know you have to do it sometimes, but I feel like Michigan handles bubble screens just fine. I don't like that approach with Notre Dame. So it is being able to run a little play action pass. You got to be able to loosen them up in the middle zones. It's it's really hard against a team like Michigan or Georgia to try and do something horizontally. They're just well-schooled at it, and they tackle you. Yeah, they're really good at defensive end. I mean, I, I, you know, it's not only is it the best defensive end tandem on schedule, it might be the best defensive tandem in, in college football. Uh, they're great at linebacker. They're great at cornerback. Yeah, that's what uh, I, you know, I throwing I, out there to great cor- Do you ever worry when they throw to Jillian Love's side in a bubble screen and Drew Tranquil's over yeah, there? You exactly, know what's going to happen. Right. You're shutting it down. It's It works so, against bad tackling teams. So you probably got to get some push to the middle of their defensive line, uh, run some delays. Maybe get their defensive end to come up field a little bit. Honestly, every game last year, <laughs> Notre Dame did try to hit play action downfield early against Georgia. It was underthrown against Miami. It was overthrown. These were touchdowns. These are the things that loosen you up, not dinking and dunking against a great no. defense. And you, de- you definitely, I mean, at least on paper right now, their weakness looks like Notre Dame's weakness, and that is its safety. You definitely want to test. Their safeties, so that so there right there, play action deep ball is probably something that Chip Long would would want to dial up. Now, admittedly, we kind of like that for Notre Dame in every game, <laughs> but you don't have to totally change who you are either. I mean, you have to dictate a little bit. You're at home, you don't have to settle in because of crowd noise like you did at Miami. And Chip Long, I think, if you ask him, 
ask him again, he would be, he would say uh, he didn't want so many bubble screens against Miami. In retrospect, constantly throwing horizontally against a team that was that fired up and fast, it just wasn't there. And Brandon Wimbush's accuracy wasn't there either. So that, it was, there were so many things that went wrong. And I know people say if Equinemius say Brown catches a touchdown, it's a different game. It is a little different game. Wimbush might settle yeah. in. But boy, did it go off the rails after yeah, that happened. it did. I, you know, there's no easy answer to this question, unfortunately. I mean, that's just, Michigan's defense is that good. Um, you know, I, and I get what you say, bubble screens and that stuff doesn't work, but, you, you know. Gotta mix it up. I know well, you I mean, mix Tony, yeah. you know, a healthy Tony Jones, that's going to be, that's right. going to be part of the offense, at least long-term, if not specifically. I don't mind the game. standard screens. I just don't like the, okay. the quick lookout okay. throws yeah. that okay. kind of permeate college well, football. Yeah. I mean, I think you got to run some delays and yeah. hopefully that Dexter Williams is on the field for them and he can... You know, get get a little sliver and that's good and strategy. Go. Makes you a good offense. Just put Dexter Williams out there. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, this doesn't have to be suspended, right? There's yeah. just a... <laughs> could could end up being easier said yeah. than done. K. Beasley with the new four game redshirt rule. Is Dracovic and who else now get some playing time this year? Related, how does the new transfer rule impact roster management? It's a great question, and I'm glad we didn't totally run into the ground the first segment. Yeah. There's a lot of guys that could play because of it now. Well, certainly, yeah. I mean, starting with uh, Dracovic's a guy that, that wouldn't have played. Right. He just flat wouldn't have because you couldn't take the chance hoping for an injury, you know, after the first uh, after September, the first few weeks of the season. But certainly, I mean, you know, running backs, you can give them an opportunity. Cornerbacks, uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know why you wouldn't have those guys are, are certainly candidates for special teams anyway, but they're still going to be they're still going to be in juggling act though uh, at, at times with this. But t- Tim, why don't you jump in there and answer the question? Yeah, there's guys that after two and a half weeks of camp are going to the scout team. And you're not going to put them in because honestly they're not going to practice game plans for Michigan and Ball yeah, State. Yeah, offensive so, linemen. Unless no. you're Quentin Nelson, it's just they shouldn't. Ronnie yeah. Stanley and Quentin Nelson get in just to see if hey maybe this guy's our best player after all. Right. Um, not Stanley in the case with Zach Martin, but I mean if Quentin Nelson would have gotten in in 2014, he might have just kept the job. Right. That line was in flux. Yeah. I'd rather have freshman Quentin Nelson yeah. than Hegarty and Elmer. You know, and then guys that are. I mean, guys that are uh, guys that are probably going to play, and you don't even think it doesn't even matter. Uh, Houston Griffith, definitely. Derek Allen. Derek Allen. Kevin Austin, quite likely. Shane Simon, I would think, would quite have found likely. Found a way to play, right? no matter what. Check the, on special teams, somewhere along the way. Um, this yeah. opens it up for Jason Adamalola to, if he's with the varsity, he gets in against Ball State to see what he can do if he can help us. Yeah, you're, pre- you're say, pretty. Yeah, us? you're pretty deep there. Now, I, I think. You know, the other idea of this rule is that in November you have some young guys that can... Well, you could look at Adam Alola in games two and three, or two and three, and then spot use him as needed. Two of the last four. Two of the games. last four. Yeah, that's what, I mean, see, that's what I mean. You're, they're still not, going to right. make have to make some tricky decisions along the None way. None of them have to play against Navy. Yeah. None of them should necessarily... Maybe they shouldn't play Ball State and that's Mandy. A, maybe they should play one. Right. Right, exactly. You might need it, and then injuries happen. So, so when people are saying, well, how come so-and-so isn't in it? There, there's a, a grander scheme to this now because of the, the new rule. Bull Bauer plays, right, at Special least four games. Special teams gets him in there yeah. somehow, too. Um, certainly Noah Boykin. Maybe Noah Boykin's a guy that plays all year on special teams. I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, there could be a kick returner out of that group of corners because just because Brian Pullian mentioned it, he likes some of them right. coming in. You, okay, here's a – and we talked about this before. Certainly Jamie and Franklin can – Right, is going to it's going you? to get reps, yeah. yeah, because you have you have four games to play the, with. The number one thing is some of these corners, four corners, they're not all in varsity. So some a couple of them are not going to play at all because they're not in varsity until something happens and guys get hurt. 
They're just not. They're not practicing. Yeah, I don't. I, I, man, who would that be though? I, I would say Bracy, and I love Bracy, but I don't think physically he's going to be ready to play. DJ Brown, if you've seen some pictures of him, looks fantastic. You don't. You don't all get it though. Once August came, no, rolls around. no, you know, that, no. I realize that, but the, but they're down. but they are prime special teams yeah. candidates, and so you're going to have to make decisions about. You're still going to have to make decisions about whether you're going to burn a year of eligibility on a guy for special teams. Right. Oh, yeah, you do. I mean, Keys can play now a little bit, too, to see what he can do out there. He was Otherwise, it was a very deep wide receiver. Yeah, now that was a guy that I had heard. There, The concern is, does he have the upper body strength that he needs in, in order to compete to get off the line scrimmage? That might be scout team, then. When that happens. It might be scout, scout team, team, but he is a guy that you can put him in against Ball State and let him run around a little bit and, and get accustomed to it. But, Poor Ball State, man. He's yeah. going to have a... <laughs> well, they're not good. They're not good. <laughs> There'll be a lot of new guys running around. Yeah. Against they, got a, they got a quarterback and a running back, but they're not good. They got two running backs, but they're not good still. Stormy Irish. The focus of the Michigan game seems to be on Wimbush, but doesn't Jeff Quinn's offensive line really have more impact on the outcome? If they aren't ready, it could be a long night for the Irish. Uh, no doubt about it. And it's, it's difficult to have offensive line cohesion in game one, especially when you're playing Michigan. <laughs> Uh, it's there's there's no doubt about that. And I, I don't, I you know we've talked about this before. I mean, I just I think Sam Mustafer is a given this year, um, and and I think Alex Barr's heart is in the right place, but he needs to be a more consistent. He needs to be a great player for him now. Yeah, he does. Uh, two years ago, three years ago, when this. Uh date was set. I guess it was two and a half years ago. I thought, man, I wish Quentin Nelson and Mike McGlinchey would be there for the first game against Michigan, because Michigan's going to bring some men, yeah, as Mike Bray would say, yeah. to this game, and that's what those two gave you a chance. Um, and then, just imagine if they weren't there against Georgia last year. Think of it that way. Yeah, I mean, they would. It, it's, <laughs> the, the brutality of that game would have been. And, the good and make thing, no mistake, Michigan's going to have... Michigan's going to have a hard time against Notre Dame's defense, oh, too. Yeah, I, I think we should... The Notre Dame's defense is... This is a low-scoring game, man. Yeah, Notre Dame's it. defense... You know, the whole first-rate stuff, they're 12 opponents in Notre Dame. Notre Dame's defense ranks right up there with anybody, shy of Michigan. The good news is, in addition to Mustafer, Bars, Kramer, and Hainsey have been through the ringer already. They've played Georgia, Michigan, USC, Stanford, LSU. Yeah. This isn't that crazy of a jump for them. They, but they've played. Think against about these teams. Liam Eikenberg's first start in a yeah. Notre Dame uniform. It's, 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 come that's, it's, it's up to. He has a tough. That's a tough road to hope, yeah. right? He's got a. He's kind of the guy on the spot. And he's at the worst spot to be a guy on the spot, I guess, at left tackle. But just look, Robert Haynes, he was pretty good at times last year right. against Georgia. Obviously, he wasn't what you needed. Yeah. But that's – we'll see if Michigan's defense is the mutant freaks that Georgia were. Yeah, were and let's there. also talk about uh, in, in the flip side, too. The, the question about Michigan's offensive line are their two tackles. So they're going to have to deal with a veteran deep Notre Dame defensive line, which is – you know, of all the things that Mike Elko did for Notre Dame, changing the mindset and what have you, him and Clark Lee instituted a system in which they were bound and determined they were going to play defensive linemen. Remember when they brought that second defensive line in against Georgia yeah. and we couldn't believe it? And I, it such, it's, it's the best idea. If your guys know what they're doing, it's the only way to survive a football season is you need a real legitimate two deep defensive line. It's And look where they are today because, because they did that. that. And it's, they still won 10 games last year. We wrote about wrote about this a couple of weeks ago. Defensive line, offensive line, quarterback, the three most important position groups in college football, backup defensive line. Oh, might yeah. Be number 4. Yeah. I mean, corners are important these days. And that's too, why but. November will be interesting not just for Notre Dame but all of college football how they how Coaches will use that freshman eligibility or the the ability to play four games in in November. Do you going back to that? 
do you think you got to get guys in two games before the two games stretch at the end, though, right? You're not going. All right, it's November. You, here comes our. You here probably comes the don't say four all you four, games, all four to, games. I I wouldn't think so. And it pretty now, much puts one of the two, Ball State and Vanderbilt, off because it doesn't help you as much, and it takes Navy totally off the table because they can't learn it. Have you defensively? Right, yeah, right, exactly. Takes them off the table. Where does the bowl game fit in? Have you, did you read anything about? I mean that. That's allowed, but not the early enrollee bowl game. That's no, the no, only, no, that's no. The only thing, yeah. The new. But the new I mean, guys you can't. In, can't so you, uh, but. You're, my point is that you're not going to like okay play all four November games and you're not eligible. Right, you need someone. That's unless you're it's unless you're just prepared to burn that year of eligibility at that point. A lot of a lot of really really. Well, petting the bowl game, you are because you're not burning it as much. He if you helped you if you play him against Ball State, let's just throw anyone. Let's Tariq. Let's say Boykin. Perfect. Or you think he's going to play all year on special teams though, right? Let's say Franklin. Ends up being better than we all think. And he's the guy they need because somebody up front gets hurt behind Tillery. Plays against Ball State. Boy, we can't block him in practice. We're going to bring him out to Virginia Tech. He's coming with us. Someone gets hurt. He plays against Virginia Tech. Injured guy's back. Yeah. Well, now you have to make, now now, you have to make a decision. Have to make a... But what if he's really good against <laughs> no, you USC? No, you've got to make a commitment yeah, to commitment. it. Yeah, yeah. If make, he's really yeah. good against USC, you got to play him in the bowl game. I mean, you're trying to win. Unless you're in the pinstripe bowl. Which... Kind of, what are we doing here? Throwing the pinstripe bowl, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I don't think Notre Dame's going to be in the pinstripe bowl either. this year. And I and I and I uh, I don't know that I said this on a podcast, but I something that I uh, the odds are bad. It was so. a Thursday. It was Thursday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thursday thoughts. I don't. I'm not sure the schedule is as difficult as we thought it was. I don't like the layout of the. Well, I don't starting with Stanford back. I just I, I don't think Virginia Tech is as impossible anymore because they might not have a quarterback starting corners and they're just not that impressive. Virginia Tech lost they a did. lot. You can't actually you're getting to the point now where if you lose that game against Notre Dame, nothing's changed. And what are we doing? They're, all right, here's the road. I don't want to go into the road history, but it's it's worth repeating. Only relevant. <laughs> Their two best teams in the last five years were three and two on the road. Their bad teams were zero oh and three on the road. One team would have been. 0-4 oh, on the road the Tommy Reese senior year if they didn't play one win Purdue and two win Air Force. Yeah. They're bad on the road. Notre Dame is bad on the road. They have to turn that around. So you can't be bad on the road against Virginia Tech no matter what they're missing. You have to go in there. Now look, they looked really good on the road last year a couple times. Michigan State was an incredible road game for Notre Dame. That is a, that's a perfect way to play a road game. Yeah. And BC, after some early yips, was just a dominant offensive effort. If that team shows up, they're going to beat Virginia Tech. But... They don't always show up like that. That really good team out there against Virginia, should that game have ever been close? Where Will Fuller bails them out? I mean, that game shouldn't have been. No, close. and you had... Virginia you, Tech's better Kaiser, than that. Kaiser got hurt. Or uh, Kaiser came in, yeah. Zaire got hurt, and Kaiser... He wasn't lightening up, though. We, rem- we remember we remember the game-winning touchdown to Fuller, but he really was poor oh, that, he was that game. Problems, he was yeah. having... You know, it was first first time where he was really playing, so... Anyway, we have a lot of time to figure all this stuff out. I think we disagree on the schedule. Is my point. I don't like the setup. I, I'm just. I, yeah. no, okay, I agree with you that. What I'm saying. What, what? Yeah. What I'm saying is the personnel on these teams is not as good I as I that. thought it was. I'm not discounting going on the road, and you know that that all stays the same. Uh, I'm just. I'm looking at it from a personnel standpoint as I break down position by position. I keep seeing weaknesses. In a good, yeah. a good portion, and you're right. No matter what the weaknesses are, if you don't play well, at Virginia Tech at night, 
you know, it's going to be scary there. You you were scared in Miami, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, it was no, like... It was, it was remarkable, man. It was, <laughs> I still can't get over it. it was, I'm scared! <laughs> and I don't have I, to play. I wasn't alone. But no, there was. Oh, wait, crap. All right. Did we decide when we were coming back? Uh, uh, July 2nd. Okay, July 2nd-ish? Ish. July 2nd-ish, unless there's breaking news. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're... Yeah, I mean, I'm talking about Michigan's defense other than again. Zeke Carell uh, actually verbally committing <laughs> yeah. during a podcast. We we got it done. We got it done. Okay, we I think we covered a lot here today, Tim. Get your Dexter Williams and Chase Claypool questions ready for July second. Yeah, and everybody, <laughs> yeah, and everybody, uh, keep a lookout for the series of stories with the coordinators that will run uh, through the week. That's it uh, for Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by IrishIllustrated.com. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley.